Welcome to the Sickles and Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Chris Leonard, joined by wait a minute. I, I got no one. Um, Sam is uh in rehearsals right now for Volbeat. Kyle is out on tour with Max and Big Time Rush. Um it's summer. We're busy, so I'm gonna do this my alone. Y'all can just listen to me ramble tonight. No, no, no. I, I have a guest, so you, you don't have to worry about that. But uh, a couple quick housekeeping notes. Um we want to give a special thanks to some of our sponsors, um, Alan and Heath. Uh, as always, they've been with us for a while now, uh, make some great stuff, great support. Um, also, speaking of support, Rational Acoustics uh, just launched their support portal, which is pretty cool. I know Hannah's been working on the background, um, a lot of access to uh, documentation and um technical and licensing support and stuff like that so um go check that out a lot of resources there um and then also um continued thanks to rcf uh for being sponsors of the podcast making great speakers uh and also having great support well thank everyone for the support tonight so um that's all the housekeeping i got i'm gonna get right into uh my guest tonight uh, i have david Lloyd with me i've been trying to organize this like many other episodes uh, for quite some time and the stars have magically aligned um the cool thing is i got to see david a couple nights ago uh for my third time of seeing kane brown uh david's been mixing kane brown since 2016 2017 somewhere in there. yeah 2017 um, <laughs> um i'm sure we'll get more to that um but has uh uh, you know, some other backgrounds working uh, with Black Bear at Alicia Keys, Sergio Simpson with the Blackbird Academy. Um, welcome to the show, David. Yeah, what's up, man? Glad to be here. Yeah. The funny thing is we met uh, first time uh, a couple weird things. First was uh, we met because of the other Chris Leonard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I, I remember like we ta- we briefly talked about it in Philly this last weekend and that had totally like I had just completely forgotten, and and because I was that was I think that show was the first show of our 2020 like domestic tour, mm-hmm. and obviously it was like early 2020 right for it to be it like, like full it was on like show. February. It was it was my yeah. last show pre COVID for, for me. Yeah, to we watch. had yeah. yeah we had just like just gotten back from Europe, and uh, and I was just in the thick of it because we were still like dress rehearsal the night prior, like we were still ironing things out. This was like. You know, we had done arenas before, but this was like our first real like big show. Mm. And so I was just like deep in the woods. And I think we just briefly met at front of house. Like I remember other Chris Leonard was mixing for Russell. He told me you were going to be there. And I was like, cool. Like a friend of yours is a friend of mine. Let's hang. And then we briefly met like during set change. Like I think I was out there because I, I always love watching each act that opens up yeah. with us. Like I always love watching like a few songs. Oh, that's right. Because I sat in front remember, of house to watch him mix. Mm-hmm, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you were out at front of house, and we briefly met after that set, mm. and I was able to put a name with a face, and then that was it. I just I went straight, and 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 you were cool. Like we just we you know you just were with Chris the whole show, and y'all were hanging out. I was doing my thing. We shook hands. We said bye. And then COVID happened and yep. right the next two years was just a whole whirlwind. And so like <laughs> the next time that I thought I remembered was our first time hanging was in 2022, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was at, a, at another show in, in the area. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was the first time we met. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it's good. It's been it's, it's fun to see uh, all, all three shows. You know, it's funny. I was telling you 
uh, you know, going to that first show, I literally was coming to see Chris, and and the only yep. song I knew at the time um, was the one thing right, his uh, which is his yep. um, uh, song with Marshmallow, you know, yep. and that's actually probably why I heard it was because of Marshmallow, not necessarily because totally. of, oh yeah, <laughs> because of Kane. No, that was yeah. And um, but since then, my wife and I have taken quite the liking to Kane, and uh, uh, it's it's a daily listen almost at the house now. So it's been it's That's been cool. fun fun to see three shows now and uh, get to hang out with you a little bit. So it's cool. Well, yeah, and it's fun too because then I mean you've gotten to hear it, you know, morph over over time, <laughs> you know, and I think that that's also something that's fun is is to like have friends see the show over the years and like you know come back with thoughts and come back with like yeah, I liked this about that show and I liked this about the other show. It's been fun to like kind of, and even like we were talking about it in Philly too this last weekend. It's cool to like be able to have two comparisons, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, since we're on the Kane Brown topic, let's, let's talk about how did that gig, gig come about short of going back to Blackbird and your whole history. How did, how did the, um, the Kane Brown thing come about? Yeah, I was, uh, I was between things. I just ended with Sturgill and uh, a friend of mine, Sebastian, had me doing monitors out with him on a country act named Ray Lynn. And we were we were touring like top of 2017 and it had an end date to it. It was like, hey, we can only bring a monitor guy out for a few a few months. This is just to kind of keep you busy. I came in and did it. And I was like totally down. And so like the last month of that tour, you know, I was trying to line up my next thing. I was meeting with people. I was hitting emails. I was like, you know doing making the rounds to see if anyone had anything coming up for the spring and uh, i had heard about another artist that needed a front of house pm monitors patch everything like just needed a guy and i saw that she had opened for kane and a friend of mine from blackbird i think he graduated a few classes before me um tyler opplinger was the pm at the time and i knew he was working with kane so I texted him and I was like, hey, dude, uh, what do you know of this act? Like, is she cool? Is she fun? Like, what's the vibe, you know, when she's open for you guys? And he then just replied with, wait, are you looking for a gig? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done next week. And he was like, my guy's done next week. Do you want to come out with Kane? And I was like, totally. <laughs> and and <like laughs> at the time, too, you know, I, I'm not at the time. I'm more now. But at the time, I wasn't very versed in like country music or like who's who or whatever like i just wasn't really tracking it you know i don't it's not my favorite genre out there so i just wasn't really following and i like started doing like a quick research right i was like pulling him up on youtube pulling him up on spotify looking at his tour dates and he was still and the, i mean that was like first album at best at that point right I mean, totally he was still, yeah i think yeah. he had done an ep at that point and i think he he blew up, on, he blew up on social media first doing covers yes and totally and, yeah yeah, and he had been doing covers. I think he'd put out like a few solo tracks. Like I don't even think he had done a full LP yet. And um and I remember like checking out YouTube and like seeing the view count and then like hearing his voice and then seeing him and being like, "Whoa, this is weird and this is cool and there's something like unique here." And then um I looked at the tour dates and specifically I saw that he was opening for Jason Aldean for like 6 months like the last half of 2017 from like May to October. And I was like, that's awesome because not only does he have a lot of dates cause you know, you're, you're getting paid by the show. So you're, you're sure. trying to go out and you're trying to work. Right. So not only was that appealing, but also getting to be an opener with, you know, that crew and those people and getting to learn from those guys too was something where I was like, Oh, that's cool. I, I want to be on that. 
And I remember, I remember calling Tyler back and I was like, look, here's the details. Here's what I can do it for. If you can make that work, I'm your guy and you won't look back. And I remember specifically saying that because I, I really wanted it. Like I really wanted them to feel at peace about me taking the gig. And, um, and that was that I, I, I got home Sunday. I spent Monday and Tuesday listening to as much of the material as I could. I went into the shop Tuesday to prep a file and I was on the bus Wednesday. <laughs> and, um, and that was six years ago. So that's, that's awesome. It has to have been a fun ride too. Like you said, you've done his first arena with him and um, his success is obviously growing. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, quite frankly, in the next year or two if he's not doing stadiums. I mean, so um, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I don't think so. Uh, so no, that's the hope, yeah. Uh, so what, what's that been like to kind of, um, I mean, that's, that's almost like, almost every sound person's dream of like picking up hitting that artist right at the right time as they're as they're climbing and being able to kind of make make a you know long career out of or at least a decent long run run with the same artist totally and and i think it's also unique too because you know we were such a close-knit crew from the beginning like myself the band the guys at the time like obviously as time goes you know people come and go but there was even from the beginning, there was just like this atmosphere of like, we are in the trenches together. We're going to send it as, as best we can. And, um, and, you know, keep our head high. And when we need something, we're going to talk about it with each other. And I think that that mentality really allowed us to like, just shoot for the stars. And I, I remember like his first arena show was, uh, late 2017. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was, I think it was in South Haven, Mississippi, And I remember walking in and it was like one of those days where it was just like, we totally oversold the thing, like (laughs) oversold it under production. There was a stage, there was like 16 or 12, it might've even been 12, like 12 VDOSC aside, no side hang. And they sold two, two, it wasn't 270, but they sold like 240. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get sound up into this area. I don't even have a side hang. And I remember like getting some like, front fills and like putting DIs under <laughs> them and just like shooting them off in the other direction. Cause it was like, you, know, you just have to roll with the punches. Like it's mm-hmm. like one of those things to where it's like, you want quality control, but as things are growing so quickly and as things are, are moving so fast, you have to stay on your feet. And, um, and I think that that's something I've enjoyed is like, you know, it started, it started really fast when I joined and he was doing TV stuff and Jason Aldean dates and his own dates all at the same time. And you really had to hold on for dear life. And you had to like, include other people in the process and make sure that you weren't trying to like just handle everything yourself so that you you, you did it as best you could you mm. know and he too as a person is incredibly incredibly like just kind and like if you messed up as long as you owned it he was cool like he he wouldn't beat you over the head with it there was always that trust there like and there still is like again if if i ever have an issue during a show like immediately after the show I hop on the bus. I'm like, yo, dude, here's what happened. It's not going to happen again. We got it fixed. Figure, do you need an explanation? And nine out of 10 times that that's happened, you know, not that there've been big issues, but whenever it's happened, sure. he was like, oh, bro, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> like, he's just like, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad I'm not beating myself up too bad about it. But like, you know, he's, he's a very, very like, just, he's just there to have a good time, do the show. Right. He expects excellence and he, expe- and he has quality control. Like he, he's paying attention. He's incredibly he, like detailed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as you're growing in over the years, like, you know, you never, people aren't perfect. Like, we're all going to have our issues and our growing pains. And it helps to have him and his management work with everybody. And I think that that was something I really, really appreciated. So 
I um in digging through some of your stuff, I, I found your mixed portfolio that you have posted on LinkedIn. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I'm glad somebody found it. Um, <laughs> a lot of work into that. Uh, well, so I mean, I want to talk about that, but then I think I relate this to Kane and others. But <clears throat> actually, the, the coolest thing is in there. So, um, a first off, I want to know, like, is that actually a common thing that people have? Like, so basically, you have a portfolio of like I don't know, ten or so. Most of them are like live post broadcast mixes you've made for like mm-hmm. TV for Kane or other artists. Um, and you have maybe some examples of some mixes. You have uh, one of the things you had in there was a, a video pitch that basically you sent to an artist of why you wanted to work for that artist and, and explaining kind of the culture of who you are and why you like that artist. Um, and uh, is that is that something that happens often? I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm 13 years removed from touring. So is, is that a common thing now or is it just something you decided to do? I think it was something I decided to do. I mean, I think it was uh, that 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 video for that artist was requested of me. Um, so obviously, mm. I did that, and then I think that's when I thought about it. I was like, you know what? It wouldn't be a bad idea, you know, to to maybe implement. And I I haven't fully fleshed it out yet, um, but I'm thinking of like putting, you know, uh, a note on my resume saying like, hey, you know, links available upon request for mixed mm-hmm. portfolio stuff because that's that's something specifically to Kane that I've been able to do the past couple of years is really start doing post-production, um, you know, things for TV and or live streams or anything like that. Like I, I don't mix his records. He's obviously got his guys for that, but it's usually when it comes to like TV things or, or live streams where I'll have the opportunity to either sweeten it, take it home, redo it from the ground up or, you know, or be just really in charge of that quality control. And I've loved it. That That's something that I've absolutely just, fallen in love with is I love doing recordings. I love doing live shows. I love doing live streams. I love really getting nerdy about it and like figuring it all out. And, um, it's, it's been really enjoyable. And so I realized I was like, you know, it might be helpful if for prospective people that want to work with me to know, Oh, Hey, we're hiring this front of house guy. This show is being taped and recorded. He's got this portfolio. Why don't we get him to mix it too? Or whatever, you know, and then they can also get a gauge of like my style of mixing too from, those links you know sure the so two things that sh- well, i do want to talk about the post mixing and maybe the you know we can yeah. get to maybe some of the nerd nerdy audio talk as we totally. take a few things especially your front of house rack um <laughs> but um yeah. two things you said in that video that struck me that i want to hear more about um you when you're talking about yourself and just how you operate and what your headspace is um you mentioned two things one um you like telling stories through art um, and it was one of the things you point out, like what you, you recognize that that's what the artist did and that's something you like to do. So I want to know what that means to you. And then secondly, yeah. you talked about how methodical you are. Um, and so I'm curious on how would you describe that and what does that mean to you to be methodical in the work that you're doing? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say when it comes to like translating art, obviously the record's the goal, especially from like front of house perspective, you know, the record is where you start. You, you study the record, you analyze the record, right? You know, sometimes it even is fun to kind of like know the players on the record too, because then you kind of can get really nerdy and know like what kind of patches or exactly what kind of sounds you're going for. So like when you're recreating it with the band, um, you know, you can really get down to the details. And I think, you know, and, I, and a lot of other people would say the same. I would always say that the front of house engineer is the additional band member, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a pretty common belief is like, for us, we have six band members. So the band guys call me the seventh band member. And I think that that's true in a sense, not fully, but like in a sense of like, 
they involve me in sound creation. They involve me in, you know, what kind of patches we're using, what kind of guitar tones, how much reverb we want on this, you know, all those different details that might not be exactly on the record, but they might work in a live scenario. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the translation is fun for me is because obviously the record's the goal and the record is here, right? And then the live show should make people want to go listen to the record. Mm. So you have to add an element of fun. You have to add an element of energy. You have to add an element of excitement. And that can come from multiple things. It's not just audio. It's lighting. It's video. It's everybody involved. But, you know, audio should do their part to make sure that not only are we recreating the record, we're recreating the energy. We're recreating the excitement. We're recreating the art and the, the you know, the vibe of what this track is. If it's like a rock song, we want it to make, we want it to really feel rock. If it's like a swampy backbeat country song, we want it to feel like you're in New Orleans or <laughs> deep Louisiana. You know what I mean? Like things yeah, like that. And absolutely. I think, you know, there's a marriage between front of house and band and music director, if that's in there as well, that I think can be really, really fun um, to kind of discover in rehearsals. Um, and it, it's an art form. I, I think it's a, it's a level of communication and I think it's, uh, it involves the artist as well. And, and Kane is, he's, he's not as involved until like the last little bit, like he'll come for dress rehearsals and he'll be there for like the last couple of days. And he'll, you know, usually his process is like, he'll pop on in-ears and he'll run it a few times with the band to kind of get the program. And then he'll come and listen with me. And usually the band, we're all in there together. Like we all kind of tackle it together and it's a lot of fun. And I think there's, you know, a lot of artists operate the same way. And, and thankfully, you know, I've, I've been here long enough to have a decent amount of creative autonomy where I can still be artistic and I can still, you know, obviously I'm under the, the music director and the band leader and those guys, you know, cast the vision and I help implement the vision. But then if there's thoughts or tweaks or things like that, I'm able to submit it. And, and it's really, really enjoyable. That's awesome. And well, then yeah, I think yeah, the methodical yeah. side of things, what is, what does that mean to you? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's not pretty simple. It's pretty similar, um, to a lot of other, a lot of the other, my friends, you know, um, the, the, the biggest thing that we start with is obviously rehearsals, right? I mean, you listen to the record, you plan some rehearsals, hopefully you get some rehearsals. Hopefully it's not just like running a new song at soundcheck, which we've all been there and it sucks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hopefully you can actually get some time to get into rehearsals. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, I'm very, very, very particular about getting in a, in a separated space. Like most, most people, you know, I'm a believer in, making sure that you're in a separated space as, as best you can, as isolated as you can get, you know, having multiple sources to listen to. Um, that way you can constantly be checking yourself, you know, not just sources you like to listen to music to on, but sources that maybe don't sound as good or multiple things that can help really understand, okay, this feels great, but then on here, it doesn't feel great. Where's the marriage between the two, right? This is the artist pleaser. And this is my man, my snare sucks reference, you know, <laughs> it's like, which, which one are we going to? And I think, you know, Getting in, getting in that space and then keeping it consistent with the show file is something else I'm, I'm a believer in. So like as I'm building a show file and as I'm building it on like a set of different references, I make sure that I keep those same references at multiple. If we go back into rehearsals later on in the year or if we do anything down the road, um, I make sure that there's consistency there, right? Because I, for me, usually my first, if I'm ever feeling something is off or if I'm ever chasing something, the first way that I know I'm not crazy is if I check the things that don't change, right? Things like the two mix, things like the board tape, things like, you know, are my references the same? Am I, is my curve, it, you know, that I'm shooting for in the rehearsal space the same, right? If I can rule out the areas that haven't changed and I can listen to them and, and, 
and agree that that's not changed, then, you know, actually going back into rehearsals and knowing, okay, well, if that's good, then I can figure this out or I can go here and this is the problem or it's the microphone placement or, you know, maybe it's the gain staging. Let me pull up an old show file and check the gain. You know what I mean? All those different things. I think there's a list of things you can cross off as you're doing rehearsals while you have the time to make sure that when the artist is in the room and the band is in the room, you are on your game and you are making sure that like that confidence allows you to mix as cleanly as possible. And then when you can leave rehearsals and take it to a show and know that what you have in the box is what it should be. And, you know, and that allows you to have the confidence, like if you get to a festival or a show where the venue, you know, is, has a PA and you're just not, a, you're just not digging it. And you're like, man, this feels weird. And then you check yourself, right? You go back to what I just said, like you find the things that haven't changed and you make sure, okay, no, this is good. So it is something after here. Yeah. And I think that that also allows you to really hone in on the art and make it not only consistent, but also make it reflect what everyone else liked two months prior at rehearsals. Right. Does that, um, does that help you, it helps you probably relate to your SC or if it's you being the SC at the time or whatever, just because if you, you know, it's not just a reference CD, like, you know what your show sounds like. So are you more in tune with what the room and the PA is doing on a day-to-day basis because of how methodical you are with that process? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, y- your relationship with your SC is, is incredibly important. Um, and, and honestly, and you know, SCing is one of my weakest traits and that's something that I have very little experience in. And I don't say that to, you know, beat on myself. I say that to have a healthy awareness of myself, mm. right? It's like, I know my, I know my strengths and I, and I know my not strengths, right? My weaknesses. <laughs> I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And, um, and I'm a firm believer in making sure that like that relationship is transparent. That relationship is open. I am not hovering. I'm learning. Right. And I try to, and I've, and I've tried to tell every SE I've worked with is like, Hey, if I'm over your shoulder, I'm not really double checking you here. I'm doing it with you and I'm learning with you. Like if, if you do something, I'm usually like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Or if I don't understand it, I'll be like, okay, what, what's, what's the math there? What's the proof? Like, what's the document say? What's focus? What does the software say? You know, like all these different areas. And, and again, and I try to be very clear because a lot of SEs, if they don't know me, they'd be like, man, why are you checking my work? Like, mm-hmm. It's not that. It's genuinely me trying to be on the same page so that, again, I know when I get to the show file, if something feels off with the subs or if something feels off with the kick drum and I know those subs are in time, it's on me. At that point, I've got delay somewhere that I forgot to install or I've got to insert on, you know, uninsert or something like that. Um, you know, so involved enough to know what we're doing to the PA to answer your question. Um, and also to know like what curves I want, but then also trusting that person to do their job and yeah, trusting sure. the team and trusting the team that they work for, that they've sent me the right gear to do the job. Right. And, um, and that's something that I've told SEs multiple times. They'll be like, Hey, what are the things you want? I tell them the things that I want. And then I say, everything else is up to you. And, and I trust you. And if I don't trust you, then it'll be for a reason and we'll talk about it later. But I've never, I've never had to have that. Thankfully, I've never had to have that conversation. Um, so yeah, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. Um, so uh, let's talk about the, the, the post work um, that you, uh, that you talked about. So what does that look like different than, than mixing your show? Um, how, how do you typically accomplish that? Uh, what are some of your goals in it? Um, what's, what are you, what are you going for there? Yeah. Um, it started slow. And again, it was something that at the time, and I still don't really know everything about it. Like I never, we're always students, but like 
I um I knew nothing. I didn't even know Pro Tools when I started with Kang. I'm still very much learning, but like I was just like a big logic guy, and uh, it, it kind of happened slowly over time. Management gave me a few projects to to work on in 2020 um, when everybody was doing live streams, right? And mm-hmm. there were a few little things that popped up, and management was like, "Hey, why don't you take this?" And I was happy to do it. And and I told myself all of 2020, I'm going to learn Pro Tools. Every taping I go to. Every live recording, I'm not even going to open up Logic. I have to learn this because if I don't learn this, I'm going to fall behind. And so I like forced myself at every taping we did with Kane, even if I wasn't mixing it, to record it in Pro Tools so that whoever I handed it to doesn't come back to me and be like, dude, what file is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, uh, and basically I realized you know, during that year that this is not going away. Taping is not going away. Recording is not going away. You know, there's so many performances in, in the award show level, just the award shows, where half the performances are live and half the performance are live to track. And, and we in the industry know what that means. And But that means you got to get that track from somewhere. And it's not usually the record stems. So, you know, how do you go about that? And so, you know, I, I had been recording Kane ever since I started. Ever since I started, I, I was archiving everything because I, I knew that management would probably want it at some point. And um, and so for me, it, it usually looks like every tour cycle, every record cycle, um, I will build a template in Pro Tools that uh, is, you know, that is recorded straight from our gain structure on the road, and I'll build it around that gain structure because usually after we leave rehearsals, monitors and I hardly ever touch gains, and and I appreciate him for that. Is we're very <laughs> we're very like methodical in the way of like if it was good at rehearsals, it stays that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's not like that at show, it's something at the source. And um and so I build the template around that, and I'll usually get like. 80% of it honed in on my own time post rehearsals. If I have time, I'll just, I'll knock it out for a couple of days, get, get the mix roughed in so that because this industry moves very fast and award show stuff or TV things come up last minute, or, you know, we do a show and, and this happened today where they were like, Hey, can you pull this song from that show and send us a, a quick mix of it so we can hear how it sounds and see if we want to actually do something with it. Um, you know, I've got it ready. Like it's, it's not a stressful thing. of it's already in the template. Take the other 20% across the finish line, spend time tuning vocals, spend time comping vocals, spend time comping, you know, the band. We're usually talking 48 hours to, you know, 72 hours by the time I'm sending something I feel good with. Obviously there's still edits, but usually it takes me, you know, two to three days to get something that I feel good with. And, um, And I think that that's been something that I've really enjoyed doing because it allows me to really dig into the inputs even more, right? Mm. Because there's, there's things that you hear on the road. There's things you hear in rehearsals. And then taking it in post, there's things you hear even on top of that, both in like the tracks and playback and and the inputs themselves and all this stuff. And, and, and it really allows you to then take that knowledge of the stage back to the show and then just repeat the cycle. Um, so, yeah. How, how close is your post mixes to your live mixes? I would and, say, and, and maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the same. You're maybe not going for the same thing too. So, like, what's the difference of what you're going for there? If it's not the same or not close? Well, the goal is to keep the same energy. That's, I mean, I'm I'm definitely a believer in in being as consistent as I can. So, like, I actually print in in my Pro Tools template. I have a, a channel for my two mix, and I A B it with the two mix mm, so that yes. like I make sure that you know there's some consistency. Obviously, things are going to sound a lot cleaner. Sure. I mean, 
mixing and mixing in post is always going to sound the cleanest it can because of just the plug-in power and the things that we have available. Um, but I try to match the energy. I mean, again, kind of going back to to you know pre-pro conversation of like the record. The record is the standard, and you, you again, you should always keep that as your goal. But it's a TV thing, right? So I, you know, I love to use like phrases like I wanted to feel that reach through the screen, or I wanted to hear that performance just kind of grab me. And and I, st- you know, stole that technique or or was inspired by that by the Justin Timberlake uh, Netflix special. If if you haven't watched that, like go watch that and watch specifically the camera shots that are that start stage left and pan stage right. Hmm. They're like 45 seconds long to a minute. It happens probably 15 minutes into the performance once they get the vibe of everything right. Um, there's like multiple songs where they'll do this. As the camera is panning, you'll hear that specific input just skyrocket. Like oh, we're not wow. talking like like a couple dB. Like it sits on top of the vocal. It's it's that apparent. It is wow. an obvious move by the director to reach out from the screen and draw you in. And if you if you know music, it's even more engaging because now you're hearing all the different parts and you're hearing how they play. If you don't know music, it's subconsciously affecting you because you're like, wow, that horn player is really good. And you don't realize what just happened because right. you might not study music. And so I, I love to get to do that with TV stuff because, you know, again, we have our base, we have our record goal, we have the energy we're looking for. Now let's add the things that get your attention. Mm. Let's add the things that that pop off the TV. Even if you're listening on a low volume and it's just background noise at a party, if you look, if you glance at the TV and you see an acoustic player in the background, he's really getting into it. <laughs> I want you to hear that, but not in a destructive way. Sure, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about. Uh, let's, let's talk about your rack. Um, yeah. in, in, in your process, right? So, um, nerd stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, I'll, um, I know this may be a little hard to describe, you know, from a talking point. I'll, I'll post a picture of the rack in, uh, in Discord and Facebook along with this things. But, um, uh, and actually, I might even maybe, I'll post both because I, I also have 22s. But, you know, so your, we'll talk about your method. Um, the first time I had seen this method, method, and I know it's, you're not the only one to do it, but wasn't, wasn't, january 22 when i saw you um and i'll let you explain it better better than me but i mean you basically you have all of your all of your groups going out to your outboard rack and you're treating them there they never come back to the console and they get mixed down so like you don't have your standard left right bus coming off your console um i have since learned uh, you'll probably explain this but way better than me Uh, i've since learned there's other people who do this as well um so i'm curious a can you kind of explain what that signal flow looks like uh what's your kind of doing there how is it different why um benefits all those things like what's 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 that look like yeah um well imitation is the highest form of flattery right (laughs) and uh i have to give credit where credit is due the first person i saw doing this was toby francis yep uh circa 2018 on ariana grande Mm. he had like the tabletop summing mixer and at the time i didn't know anything about what summing mixers were i i knew nothing about it i i was like that's cool. And I know the Neve name and I know what silk is. I wonder what there is to that. And then I started like paying attention to it more. And all the shows that I loved to listen to were all doing that. Mm. And I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. Right. And so I started like kind of just thinking, okay, well, what does that mean from my workflow? Right. How do I, how do I want to do this and, and, you know, incorporate something that I respect and something that I think there's, you know, a mojo to, for lack of a better word. And make it my own. 
And uh, I'm already kind of a nerd about keeping most everything in the box. Uh, friends that are, are good friends of mine know that I'm not a plugin guy. I don't, I don't do plugins. I make a point not to do plugins. <laughs> um, so I'm a bit of a curmudgeon about it. Um, and, and it sometimes can make my life a little bit more difficult, but I like that because then it forces me to really dive into what's on the console. So mm. my goal was to take what I had on the console. I had already started grouping things similar to how you would mix and post, right? You have your stems on the, on the desk. So like your drums left, right, your bass, your guitars, you know, however you want to stem it out. And uh, I told myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to process this fully in the box, as clean as I can, mix it with a traditional left-right on the box, right? And then I'm going to take those stems and I'm going to output them into the summing mixer. I'm going to do some, I'm going to, you know, deactivate any EQ or compression I'd already done on the stems, right, in the box. And then I'm going to use inserts in my rack to see if, does this compressor that I have on this drum bus sound better than the stock compressor? Right. If, if plugins are out of the picture, can I make this sound better than that? And that was basically how it started. And so I started like listening to videos online. I started studying other people's racks. I started like, you know, asking friends of mine questions like, hey, what do you like? You know, what are some sounds that you liked? And I just started kind of spending 2018, 2019 kind of just studying it. 2019, I took out a few pieces from Claire, started playing with it. Different pieces kind of I fell in love with other pieces. I was like, nah. And then 2021 came around and I was like, all right, I think I know what I want to build. And so the majority of it is, you know, exactly how you described it. Stems hit a, a knee 5059. Um, there's a 500 series rack that's got uh, some compressors, some EQs, uh, a decent amount of West Audio stuff. I, I love the West Audio stuff. I love the Alicia stuff. That was stuff I didn't think I would fall this much in love with, but I adore it. Um, and, you know, there's like an SSL styled comp on my drums. There's uh, an Alicia compressor on my guitars. There's an EQ on my band bus. There's another comp on my band. There's just, you know, things that you would expect to see, you know, on your left, right and your band group and your, your individual stems are there. And then it sums in the mixer. It goes through a master chain of EQ comp. And then the master bus uh, converter is the final piece. Basically the, the two mix goes into there. That, because that's AES. The, that's the better maker. Is that the better maker bus compressor? No, uh, the or? better maker is a bus compressor that's on the left, right, and then it goes from the better maker to the MBC, the the master bus converter. Oh, okay. And um, so like the better maker, you know, works similarly to like a solid state SSL type uh compressor, and uh, it also has THD on it. I'm a huge fan of of devices just like Silk that add their own distortion, harmonic distortion. Um, and I love, I love the weight that the better maker has. And so that's on the final left, right. It then gets converted to AES via the NBC and it goes from AES straight to the lake and it doesn't come back to the console. Um, it, it well, that's a lie. It comes back to the console for metering. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I have the, the spit if output of it going to a, my Goliath and I can see it on the console as like a meter and I can then spit that out to record. But sure. that is all I'm doing with it. it. It goes AES from the NBC to the lake. The NBC is my master clock. And from there we go with Christ. It, it goes to the PA. <laughs> I send, I take the left, right. I send it everywhere. Um, and we go from there. And, uh, and I love it. I, you know, and I, and I have to keep myself in check here because I, I do think that just like plugins, Analog gear can be just as dangerous, mm. right? And when I say dangerous, it's it's easy to fall into the belief that more is better 
and this plugin chain works for this guy. So I'm going to use every, you know, 10 of them on my vocal. And then you're sitting there and you start turning stuff off and you're like, oh, it actually sounds better because that's not your vocal is not that guy's vocal. And my mix is not someone else's mix. So I have to make sure that like, is this compressor actually sound better? It, it's right. funny. We're, we're talking beforehand about Denny Miller. Uh, and yeah. so when we, when we, when we had our 200th, uh, out in Nashville, uh, I yeah. was, having, I was having breakfast after the show with Denny Miller and Rhino John. And we were talking about this very thing of nerds. Um, I love it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love those two. Uh, the, um, there was, you know, obviously there's been a resurgence of using yeah, out, out, outboard yeah. analog gear. Right. And it's like, yeah, we, we're just talking about like what it, you know, does it, you know the not the argument of like does it sound better or i mean obviously that's a right. thing right um right. and like my my ask or my question was is how much how much of why we like using analog gear um is part of it is rooted in this psych psychological thing of actually really being able to physically touch these things right totally. and, and, yeah, and, a, totally. and a, a placebo effect of like one hundred percent. It looks cool. I get to touch yeah. it. It's analog. <laughs> yeah. It has it's to actually lights. sound better, right? It's got lights, like, <laughs> yeah. like so, like it, and and like, like I know Ryan and John was working on trying to do the really best possible of like a true ABC, you know, comparison, yeah, bl- blind test of this types of things of make, taking all the same sources or you know, and and trying to. Because it's one thing if someone who's actually using it says, oh, yeah, I like or think it sounds better as opposed to a blind test. Because if you're the one using it, you, that physical action thought totally. visceral, visceral thing is different than someone else experiencing it. You know, so totally. it's, and it's but some of it is like, hey, is it possible that someone it actually sounds better because you did a better job with it because you're psychologically thinking about it and touching yeah. it? And don't, you know what I mean? Like that. That's yeah. and that's OK, too. That's, it's not that the box sounds better because of your workflow is better. Hey, th- that could be why it's actually better. Totally. And, and man, I'm sure I'm not the only one that does this. I obsess over my two mixes, you know, going back to talking about consistency, right? Talking about, you know, having targets that you're always shooting for. Um, there were in the last six months or six to eight months, uh, we've done a handful of shows where I couldn't take my rack. Um, in October of 2022, we went to Australia and I actually took my rack out to Australia and I fried it on the first show. Oh, and uh, yeah, like a clown. I sent, I didn't know that the West Audio uh, 500 series, the, the super carrier, for anyone listening, the super carrier has a dip switch you have to engage oh, before you send 220. it to 20. It's not <laughs> auto ranging. Even though it says it can do the voltage on the back, there's a dip switch. So don't send it to 20. I've been burnt and, by that. Uh, yeah, I, I learned the hard way. And, um, you know, I, I fried you know, uh, the chassis, thank God to shout out to West audio. It didn't fry anything else. Um, but you know, I didn't, I, we saw smoke, we turned it off. Um, two hours from sound check and I looked at my PM and I was like, screw it. We're going in the box today. Let's go. And you know, and that's fully in the box. That is nothing else. There's no plugins, nothing. And so I hit the snapshot I showed you in Philly. I have a, Oh crap snapshot. I hit that, it unroutes everything out of the rack, it sends everything to the matrix, and I said, all right, kick drum, go. And we started, you know, I had to kind of remember, okay, where was this snapshot the last time I I updated it? Let's Mm -hmm. figure out what needs to work, you know, what needs compression, what needs EQ, and we went from there, and I went the whole rest of the run in the box, and we didn't, no, no one was the wiser. And then, you know, we had Europe in February, and we had, we were doing smaller venues, 
So we had to scale back a bit and I, I looked at monitors and I said, you know what, I'm just going to take an SD12. We're going to skip back the input list a bit. We're going in the box. Let's go. And same story. And I say that because there have been now experiments, right? Same show, same, you know, 75 to 90 minute show, same tracks, but now with three different mixes, right? I've got my analog pre 2023. I've got my New Zealand mix. I've got my Europe mix. And now I have my show currently. And I've been able to go through and listen to those two mixes, listen to those band stems, listen to everything and be like, okay, does what I'm doing in this rack actually make it sound better? Or can I make it sound better, you know, on all in the box at this other show? And no lie, there have been times where I'm like, oh man, I like my drums better at that show. And (laughs) that's an embarrassing place to be because you're like, well, crap, I've got that, you know, hundreds of dollars on this drum chain. And I like my drums better at that SD12 show in London. Okay, well now, how do I, how do I respond to that? You know, am I over compressing with the West audio piece? Am I going too hard? Like what's, what's, where's the loss and how can I learn from it? And I think uh, it's, it's really good to, again, just keep yourself in check. More is not always better. Lights are cool. And you're right. The textile side of it is not always it, it can be a placebo, but the thing that will that, always that's humble word, you. That's the word I was looking for earlier is placebo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, totally. Like the, you know, the thing that will always humble you is check the board tape. Does the board tape sound better? Does, does the source that what you are printing actually sound better? You know, um, and there, and there have been times where I've been, yes, 100%. I miss my stuff. I miss the rack. I miss the summing. And that is pretty consistent. I, I do continually notice the summing is much different in, mm. you know, out of the box than in the box. But there are a lot of other areas that go into it, you know, compression, EQ, and all the things that we're doing also in that rack. But, you know, I think it's it, it's good to have and it's fun and it does add an element that you can't get in other ways with transformers and THD and, and things that aren't digital. Um but you have to make sure you're, you're, you're keeping yourself in check, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you have to be flexible too. It's like, I mean, again, what happens when you're across the world and your rack goes down? I hope you've got something you can roll with because you right. have a show that's not changing, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and I, and I was thankful that, you know, I, I try to cross my T's and dot my I's and make sure that like, okay, I have a couple hours in rehearsal. Let's update this, this in the box snapshot. And then I've got, since, since it's a snapshot, it's just a previous and a next and I can A, B it in rehearsals. And that's what I like doing it that way versus a macro is, you know, macros can, can unroute all your stuff. It can turn all your stuff off, but it's really hard to update. Updating it takes, you know, if you, if you want to add some EQ or if you want to add some compression or whatever, it, it takes a lot of time to do that. Whereas with a snapshot, if I just have my groups scoped, right. And only my groups scoped because that's all I'm sending to that rack, then I can easily recreate the gain structure and the compression and the EQ as closely as I can to each other so that I would notice if my rack went down. Sure. Management would probably notice if my rack went down. But all the people in that venue, I would bet the majority of them wouldn't know because they are there to have a good time, hear the show, hear the vocal, sing the songs, and go home and remember it, you know? Yeah. And uh, and, I, and I think it's it's good to always just keep yourself in check, you know? Absolutely. So uh, one of the things I enjoy um, watching from afar um, is uh, is your Instagram reels of talkbacks <laughs> for the house. <laughs> Man, I haven't done them in a while. I know but uh, like, you're like the fourth person to bring it up this week too. It, it's um you uh you know and so I want to talk about I want to talk about your talkback system, both what you talked about in Philly when I was there, and just yeah. um you know uh I'm, you know first off um 
two sides of this. One, one of the things I really appreciate, again, we barely know you. I've seen a couple of times what I receive from afar. Um, you, you just, um, the way I could describe it, you exude like joy, right? Like, and I know, oh, like, I, no, like, I mean, and, and I've seen you in person, so I know it's not just like a social media front thing, right? I know it's easy to be one thing on social media and one thing to be uh, in person, but um, right. uh, anyway, so like, you got you guys as a camp seem like you have so much fun, uh, and some of that comes through in some of the talkback. So, a uh, can you talk about uh, um, your talkback system that you guys have? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool what you guys have going on. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate that. I I genuinely try to you know I, I do try to make a point to always be you know not fake smiles but like genuine mm-hmm. with people. I, I really do love you know if I see a friend for the first time in a couple weeks or if it's like the first time in months, you know, just making them feel like they are like, yo, I'm so glad to see you glad to, you know what I mean? Um, but I appreciate you saying that, uh, as far as talkbacks go, man, our monitor engineer probably wants to kill me because I'm, I'm the one that's like constantly adding them to <laughs> so, <laughs> shout out to Adam Hart for dealing with my crap for years. Um, but basically we, the, the last two years, I think right around the time I started recording it, we, you know, built this GPI, thing network concoction uh where every backline tech every play you know our playback tech monitors myself um and a handful of other guys all have the ability to like route themselves private chat you know it would be the same as like getting a radial switcher and you know and having it all on a crew chat basically it's the same there's no magic to it the only magic is that we're not eating up twice the preamps and that was the necessity is i'm a nerd and so i like to keep everything on one stage rack and then everything else has to be digital um, and so I was like, well, we have all these top backs and all these people need to talk to certain people. How do we route that without adding five preamps per tech? And so we, <laughs> we went, we, we did it with GPIs. And so every, every tech has a boss foot switch that they can stomp on, um, that, you know, sends a command to the console and it, it hits a macro in the background that routes the tech a certain place. So naturally when you give a bunch of crew roadies, the ability to censor themselves out of, you know, <laughs> other people's ears it it can be pretty uh wild and so you know and i think it's 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 something that we just enjoy doing i think it's it started in like 2021 um with like our ld i think that was the first video i took i I put my camera i put my phone out there i have this irig that i I plug into like a a sub mix off my console and uh, it has like house music and my two mix so like you can hear the background like what's going on in the background sure and then you can hear the top backs on top of it and like while we're line checking, you'll hear people line checking the instrument too. Um, and like uh, Nick Chang is his name at the time. He hopped on top back and uh, I just like wanted to roast him. I was just like, no, I, this this clown came at me earlier today. I'm going <laughs> to roast him. I'm going to put it on camera. And I know people on Instagram will think it's funny. And so that was what I did. And then like I uploaded it just to like my story and people started like laughing about it. And, uh, and I was like, you know what, this is actually kind of fun because it's, it, it, you know, it doesn't reveal anything that we're not allowed to upload, you know, sure. there's no content or anything like that. It's, it's all good, clean, fun during line check. And it's like, you know, and thankfully our line check goes pretty quickly. I mean, if you have a 30 minute set change, we probably spend 10 minutes getting serious and 10 minutes actually doing our job and, and being thorough and making sure we actually have everything in order to do the show. And then after that, it's like, so how's everybody Friday doing? We're like, you don't catch this movie, or and it's just like it's it's, and then it just starts to go wobble downhill, and the wheels fall off, and you know, and and it's not all, you know, there are shows where we're really tired and nobody talks, and then sure. someone will say, hey, everybody's not talkative tonight, and then someone will crack a joke just for the sake of it. But 
you know, there, there are a handful of days where, you know, we get, we have some fun with each other. We mess with each other and it, and it can, it can remind people too, that like, you can have fun on the road, man. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, you know, heavy. It doesn't have to be overly, you know, you should always strive for excellence. You should always strive to be the best you can at your job, but also enjoy yourself, man. Like, I think we can all remember times where, you know, we were, and I try not to lose this, you know, where we were the kid walking in a room and seeing just this monstrosity open up in front of you and thinking, I want to do that for the rest of my life. And I think that it's enjoyable to be reminded of that and do it with your friends. And, you know, and, and I'm blessed and thankful to get to tour with friends, both that have come and gone and also ones that I've made this year and, and enjoy, you are doing life with them. You are doing nothing short of life with those guys and, and girls. And I think that, um, you know, you should have fun while you're doing it. And uh, if there's a little bit of a chance to roast somebody, you should absolutely <laughs> roast someone and you should put it on camera. So, and then get their permission to upload it. I, I try to make sure if I upload something, everyone's cool with it. And, and I also censor them too. If anyone says something, I, I mute it. But, um, you know, because at the time too, it, it might be okay for me, but it is also everyone else's professional persona that I want to take into account. But yeah. Yeah, if you go on my Instagram, it, the, if you find pre-show one and pre-show two and like the story highlights, there's like hundreds of <laughs> clips. You might understand some of them. You might, uh, you, it, it, it's, it's some of it's just inside jokes, man, but you might have fun. So we'll see. No, that's awesome. Uh, hey, Sam, walk, welcome to the podcast 45 Hi. minutes in. <laughs> I was at work. I know you were at work, and we prefaced that at the beginning of this, but I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. Um, well, so talking about um, you know you know reliving that idea of hey, reminding why we got into this and the all and glamour of it. Um, let's let's go back. Let's go back to, to Blackbird um, and you know going to school there and what that experience did for you. And I think yeah. you you even won an award there, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the Platinum yeah. Award. Apparently, uh, no. you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fancy way of saying of the six people in my class, I had the best grade. <laughs> just take it. Just take it. Just take it. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. No, I and I and I, I mean I worked for it. I mean I remember like really 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 pouring into and studying and, and making sure that. You know, a few of my classmates who I still keep in touch with would tell me that I was sleeping too much. But I think we all have that classmate that, <laughs> that you know, there's a couple of days where he, he regrets sleeping. But, um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was a senior in high school and I was like, man, I want to do music. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do studio or if I wanted to do live. I think that's that's a question that a lot of people have when they don't know the difference between the two, where they think they understand it and they really don't understand it. And the thing that I tell every high schooler that hits me up or, and I genuinely do love actually talking to people about this. I actually still do like a career day at my, my old high school because like, I love like educate. If there's someone in that class, it's like, I want to do music, but I don't know how to do it. I, I try to explain like, look, studio is, you have to be nothing short of called to go do studio. Like you have to have the, the tenacity for it. It is such a small market. It is incredible. You get to make records that last for forever. It is, it is difficult. There is nothing short of difficult. Like you will be busting your chops to do that. And in my probably biased opinion, there are 10 jobs in the touring world for every one studio job. And that's, I think, a, a, a humble measure. I think there's even more. But, you know, we'll just start with that metric. And, and I tell people, look, go cut your teeth. Go learn how to be a team player. Go study music and no better way to do it than every other day on a stage. Um, but I learned that 
from John McBride. I, I had the ability to go shadow a show. It was through Blackbird. They made like a post on their Facebook. I was like tr- kind of tracking with the school. I had just heard about it through a friend of my dad's. Um, so I, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do the college thing or if I wanted to do a trade school. So I was kind of like just, you know, shopping and Blackbird made a post, come see Martina McBride, come shadow John. And I was like, I would love to do that. And so I submitted like a essay and I didn't find out I had won until the day of the show because I had put the wrong email in that I didn't, I wasn't checking <laughs> like a clown. And so uh, I think karma called me and Karma's like the the head of, of the, the the school. I think she's head of admissions or forgive me for forgetting her title wrong, but she's awesome and she is in charge at Blackbird and she's incredible. And she called me. She's like, hey, are you still wanting to come to the show today? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, well, did you not know about it? And I was like, no. And so she's like, well, it's in Myrtle Beach. And that was like four hours from me. And I looked at my dad. I was like, let's rage. And so dad like put me in the car. He drove me down there. We got there like right at six. Um, and like had just enough time to like connect with John and, and talk with him and sit down and just actually like get advice. And he, and he said the same, he was like, dude, if you have a passion for music and you already know a bit of live audio and that's your experience and there's nothing really, really drawing you to the studio world, go do live. And he was like, go do live and then go to studio right back to it. If you want to, if you, if you aren't falling in love with live right after you do it, go do the studio program too, but start with live and see where it takes you. And so that was basically what got me to Blackbird was him just verbatim. Cause I was looking, I was genuinely looking for nothing short of someone telling me what to do. Like mm. I just didn't know. Yeah. And John was like, do live. And I looked at my dad. I was like, cool. That's what I'm doing. January, <laughs> 2015. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, and I and I really loved every bit of it. And some of the friendships that I made at that program, I still have to this day. I got hired by someone that went to the program. I have also hired people that went to the program. Like I keep in touch with the program because I still believe that the people they're putting out, both in the studio and the live world, but mostly in the live world because that's all I know, you know, are incredible engineers. And if they're not, and if they haven't learned what they need to learn, they have the personality to learn it. And that's And that's the biggest thing that I found is like, yeah, there have been multiple times where like an opener on our tour needs an engineer. And the first place I go to is I'll email Karma. And I'd be like, hey, I need an engineer for this. They can have zero experience. I will be out there. I will look out for them. I will make sure they're okay. That's awesome. And and she's like, cool, check this guy out. And I'll call him. And I'll, I'll ask them like very pointed questions within like 10 minutes. And if they answer decently, then I'm like, cool, come on and hang. I'll send you the management, you know? And um, and they're and they're great. And I, I, I very much... Uh, nostalgically look back very happily on my, my time there. They're great. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so in kind of thinking about that and not just the nostalgia, but also, right. We've talked a lot about like how we all hire our friends and our friends hire us. And it's not like we may have business relationships, but the relationships that you really pour into are the ones that you become friends with. And you just kind of happen to go to work with your friends sometimes. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, so in kind of developing those friendships, did you, are you, so forgive me if you've always already gone over this. I believe you're Nashville based currently, but are you from there? No, I'm actually from North Carolina. What part? Uh, Greensboro. Huh. I Te- live in Charlotte. Technically High Point. Oh, Charlotte, right on. Uh, technically uh, High Point, but very few people know about High Point. So I just say Greensboro. So I lived in Winston-Salem for a while, but my question to Rad. you is, 
what made you relocate to Nashville? Like, what were those things that you you lined up that you said, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to commit. Like, how have you adjusted your life for your career and then adjusted your career for your life? Oh, that's good. I like that. The phrasing of that. Um, I, so it really started with like, I knew I wanted to do music. I've always had this like, Ten, I, I, this uh, this attraction to Tennessee as a whole. My dad's family is from here, so I would I would grow up visiting Knoxville. So like obviously I grew up a Tennessee Vols fan, and like just everything about Tennessee I just really really liked. And I think I don't know what spurned Nashville per se. I think it was like just I, someone brought it up, and I was just like, that sounds like a lot of fun. I like Nashville. I like music. That's away from home to feel like I'm moving out and doing my own thing, but not like so far away that it feels daunting. Um, and it's in Tennessee and I love Tennessee. So like that was kind of the first attraction to it. And then the real attraction was, you know, I, I was looking at Belmont and MTSU. They were the only two schools I cared about. North Carolina has incredible schools. And my counselor thought I was nuts. She <laughs> like my high school counselor was like, you're crazy. Are you sure you don't want to like even just send a courtesy application to some other college in North Carolina. I was like, nope, Tennessee's it. And, um, and that was, I just was determined, man. I was, yeah. I was all about it. And, uh, I just think that I don't know what it was specifically. I think it was just that the attraction of what Nashville is, the scene, you know, the bands that I love are all based out of here. The, the, you know, the colleges I was looking at were in the area mm -hmm. and we toured them and fell in love and, and, you know, I heard about Blackbird, like I said, through a, a friend of my dad's. My dad had uh, my dad's a music a music pastor for a very, very long time, and uh, he obviously has you know connections and friends that have all worked in the national circles. And so he actually got me a list of like five people to call and ask, like, "Hey, what would you recommend I do?" And that's how I heard about Blackbird was through them. I heard about Blackbird and Dark Horse, uh, and nice. I heard about that, and that's when I started looking into it. So. That's awesome. So as you've gotten older and transitioned and obviously moved and relocated and established yourself, how have you started adjusting your career for your life? That is always in flux uh, yeah. because we all understand and those that don't understand, hopefully I can explain. The touring industry is a bear. It is not easy. And anyone that tells you different has some very, very tough problems at home because they're probably <laughs> using that was a that was a judgmental statement they're probably using my in my experience anyone that just looks at you and is like i love touring and i love being gone it's probably running from something because that's what makes it dangerous it is so mm -hmm. easy to use the road as a way of running from your problems and running from the mental things you don't want to deal with at home or running from the responsibilities or all those different things and so, you know, I found that there's different types of touring, right? We all are familiar with how prop and rock are gone for months at a time. I mean, I know your schedule's nuts right now, Sam. Because <laughs> like, yeah. I, I keep in touch with Denny and Sebastian. And they're and like, yeah. I, I haven't seen Seb in months. And I'm like, see you in August, bro. Like, when, you know, because yeah. I get it. Like, he and he and you know what you're walking into. And, and that is a whole other mindset. I've never even had to do that. So, like, kudos to you guys for having to figure that out because it's not easy. Um, thankfully in the country and, and the CCM world, um, you know, there's what we call weekend warriors and, um, you know, they leave Wednesday night, they come back Sunday morning, sometimes Monday morning, you have 72 hours at home and then you're out again. And I found that as my job, you know, goes longer and longer, I strive more and more for routine. 
Um, and like making sure that when I'm home, there's like a set number of things that I try to do and make sure that I check off and that can be simple things, but it's just the fact that there's a routine helps me stay grounded. You know, it, it right now in the season of life, it's, I need quality time with my girlfriend. I need time for counseling. I need time to see friends and I need time for myself because, and I've realized that more and more lately is like, you know, when you're out on the road, Outside of sitting in your hotel room on a day off, there is no time by yourself. You are sharing it with people on a bus. You are working. You might be able to get away and call that time by yourself, but it probably isn't true alone time. And I do think it's healthy just to like reset and and realize, okay, am I good? Am I am I maintaining, you know, my consistency, my mental consistency? Um, and it's a process because, you know, every tour changes its schedule. Some tours, they, you know, like even with Kane, I mean, when I started with Kane in, in 17, it was a quote unquote weekend warrior tour, but man, everything was popping up left and right. And he had to take it cause he was just hustling. And like, we were like, all right, we're going with you. And it was like, I, you know, Chris and I talked about this before we started recording. We did the voice, I think twice in one week. And then a third time, two weeks later. And like, we, we came, we did it. They were like, we love that. Come back. And like, we were already out on the West Coast. So all our significant others were like, aren't you coming home tomorrow? And we're like, no, we got to go back to LA. And then we went back to LA and we did it. And then we went and did a couple more shows. And then we came home and we had like two days off. And they're like, we're going back to LA. And it was just like, you know, you just have to roll the punches. And and those I think are the hardest times because, you know, okay, you have to pivot. You're like, all right, this is the time I have now. Let's let's figure out how to make it work and how to reset and how to, you know, do the things I need to do in my home or the things I need to do with my friends and, you know, and try not to isolate because at least for me, it is very easy to isolate when I get home and I try not to do that. Um, and I try to see dear friends of mine and just keep in touch with people. If they're in town and I'm in town, let's hang out outside of a gig. Mm-hmm. Let's actually see each other, <laughs> you know, gigging together with your friends is fun, but let's actually sit down and be like, how are you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. those are the things that actually like help me stay grounded and help me stay healthy. Yeah, I really like that. And it's a it's a really funny point because I I keep joking to Seb that poor guy is going to be stuck with me for basically three and a half Dude. months straight. Probably three and a half months straight. And I was like, I am so of sorry. Of all my friends, <laughs> of all my friends, he's gone the most. Well, that and man is inc- he works so much, and I love it. And he's just he crushes it. He does, but it's so funny because like you talk about how much time you spend with people without like really interacting with them. Because I joke and I'm like, oh, you're stuck with me for these three and a half months. But the reality is, he's at monitors and I'm at front of house, and I see him for like right. five minutes a day. Like how I see him in passing at catering yeah. or on the bus after loadout or like yeah. as much as I'm like, oh, you're stuck with me. Like at the same time, dude, we've we've had like two five minute conversations this week. Um, yeah. Cause that's no, just fair. how it works out. And it's so funny that that's the other thing too, is like intentionally developing relationships. Even when you tour with people, it can be easier, Yeah, but also oh, yeah, you, yeah. at the same time, it's so funny how isolated it can be as well, depending on like what you do yeah. and what type of crew you're on. Yeah. You have to work at it. And you have to be genuine about it too. And, and it's okay. Like if, if you're not an extrovert, no one blames you for that. But if you are an extrovert or if you have that energy, it is do yourself a favor, text your friends, like ask them, Hey, when are you in town? Like nothing brightens my week more than getting back on a Monday and like three people being like, yo, what are you yeah. doing this week? Because people know, like your friends mm-hmm. know if, if you're on a weekend schedule, right? They know if you're back on Monday 
And uh, it happened this morning. I went and got breakfast with a friend I haven't seen in months because he's been out on the used. Yeah. And it was like, he hit me up yesterday. He's like, yo, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, breakfast with you. Name it and we're there. Like, it's just, <laughs> let's stop talking about it. Let's just do it, you know? Because I think it it really does help you remember that, you know, you aren't the only person that's gone all the time, you know? Right. So uh, I'm curious what... Um everybody typically has some type of um, mentor uh, that has influenced them in the past. Um, can you name a mentor or two and something that they, um, that has stuck with you that they have imparted on you? Oof. Okay. Let me think about this and actually, and actually do it justice. Um, okay. I'll, I'll give two that I think are the closest. Um, the first would be Robert Bullet Claire. Uh, who I also know he does the same for a lot of people. That man is, you know, someone you can walk in and he within 30 seconds will tell you to take a seat and you probably don't leave the office for at least an hour. <laughs> um, and it doesn't matter if you're a Claire account or a Spectrum account or whoever. If you know the man, you know that he loves big. And um, I remember my first real gig I ever had, uh, we had a showcase for this artist coming up. I didn't even know what a showcase was. I didn't even know what the significance of it was. All I knew is, is that I had to get an audio rig put together and put in a garage and figure out how to do it. And I remember walking into his office because I was told to, to walk into his office. I was told to go talk to this guy by another friend. And I was like, okay. And I walked in his office and I said, hey, man, uh, I need this. I'll do monitors in front of the house. I need just like a CL5. I just need like something simple. I'll do wedges. And he was like, no, like what console do you want? And I'll do monitors for you and we'll go rage. And I was like, but I like, I know who you are. Like, you can't do that. And he's like, no, man, I got you. Like, I'm just here to hang. <laughs> and like, and like, we still talk about that gig to this day. It was at like a car garage. It was like this, uh, it was on Trinity. It was in Nashville. And it was like this like garage right next to Claire where they like soup up cars. So like he set up like a PM five under like this Corvette that was like raised above him. It was awesome. And I just remember, like, I remember leaving his office. I called my dad. I was like, you're never going to believe what, what just happened. Like, I, I'm getting to do the showcase. He's helping me with the gear. He's going to come help me out and mix it too. And, like, it's going to be great. And I still think about that show because outside of our relationship over the years, that was how it started. It was someone doing something so kind and helping somebody that didn't know anything at all. Uh have a successful show and not mess it up <laughs> and um you know and i and that just sticks with you that 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 forms a relationship that you know you can't really ignore um so for sure and over the years he's been incredible like if i'm ever in a in a space where i just need advice both personal and career he's there like it's not like i'll call him i'll text him i'll go to the office it's 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 he's awesome so and I think a lot of people will also say that they have the same relationship with him. He is one of those humans that just everybody, if you know him, your life is better because of it. Um, I th I'd say the second one uh, is 100% uh, uh, Chris Stevens uh, with Jason Aldean because um, I, again, first tour on that level opening, you know, Kane was opening. We were the first slot. I had 25 minutes every night. And I had no idea how to mix front of house at that level, doing sheds and arenas and a DMB rig from Spectrum that sounded awesome. And it was massive. I've never had a gas pedal like that in my life. Right. So I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And, you know, Chris has been doing the thing for a long time and uh, he helped 
you know, me in a very like, you know, sweet way, not drown. <laughs> and not only yeah. know, hopefully, you know, what's expected of me as an opener, both from like an SPL level and a work ethic and all those things, but also just like mixing tips and just like things that a headliner engineer doesn't typically just spend time doing. Like I can remember multiple instances where I would go and be like, man, I don't like my vocal. You're, you hear a song or two every night. If you got time, I'll take it. And him being like, what are you doing tomorrow before soundcheck? And like, you got virtual, have it ready to go at this time. I'll pop on some headphones. And like he would throw in headphones and just like dig in there with me. And, you know, I really, really, really appreciated that because that also helped me feel like I was the whole point of taking mm. at the time. What really drew me to taking the cane gig was learning from those guys, getting to do those dates. Right. That was one of the incentives that I had when I first started and went out with him. And I'm so glad that that relationship really like was able to actually go somewhere on that tour and then to get to open for them again as direct support a year and a half later. Right. It was like we we did that tour for six months. A year and a half later, we came back as direct support and it was all smiles. And it's like, yo, guys, what's up? You know, and, and we're all doing the thing all over again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of course, there's, you know, McBride and and Raybold's another one that I will I'll head up and talk to regularly. And, and they all offer everyone offers very solid advice in and of themselves. But those are the two I can think of that have like a, a definitive relationship with. That's awesome. So similarly. What do you wish you knew when you first started? Say that one more time, sorry. What do you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, gosh. I wish... Ooh. I love that. (laughs) Man. Uh... Because it's easy for me to jump to like the things that I think are like staples in the audio industry, but I also hold to the belief that there are no rules when it comes to audio. Absolutely. You know, and I think we would all agree. Uh, I think I wish I knew to not be so set in my ways. I think, I think, I think that there are things that are good to stick to if you have properly tested them in your own mind and learned from them. Right. Like for instance, I'll give two examples, one of good and one of bad. The one where I think is a is a belief that I hold to and I stick to is my experience with plugins. I I love and that's a personal belief. That doesn't mean I never use them. If I'm on a gig and the artist looks at me and says, "I want H verb on my vocal," I'm gonna get H verb on his vocal. But in my experience, I haven't had an artist that has ever looked at me and said, "I need this." So it allows me to stick to my guns and work as in the box as I can and challenge myself in that way. And that was from experiences that I had and things that I wanted to challenge myself in. Uh, an area where I think I learned something different and changed my opinion and made a joker of myself for years in conversations with my friends because I was so particular about it was like the the sub on an ox sub from your left right <laughs> conversation that everyone loves to talk about. Um, again, I'll preface with I think it works the way you believe works for your show, right? Again, if you are mixing bluegrass. It subs on an ox might make sense, you know. In my case, I was blindly just like, subs on an ox are the way, and if you don't do it, you're an idiot, you know. And I was so, like, so particular about that, and I was just like, you don't listen to your mix, you don't actually listen to what's going to the subs if you're doing it the other way, you know. And then I, you know, got humbled pretty quickly when I realized all the engineers I respect and love their mixes. (laughs) 
<laughs> do it another way. And I was like, oh, maybe I am an idiot and I actually don't know what, you know. And, and, and so that summer, what I decided to do was like, all right, you know what? Let's test it. Let me learn on my own and, be, and find out the route that I want to take. And I built a macro on the SD9 that just turned my aux off and routed my left right to the sub send and gain matched so that it wasn't like a faux belief that it sounds better, right? Does it tonally sound better? Does it sonically respond well? And I realized, you know, A, being it on different PAs because we were opening or doing direct support or doing some headline shows from venue to venue to festival to whatever, I would just spend the summer talking mid-show. Like I would just turn it on and off mid-show. And uh, and I landed where I am now, which is taking the left right and sending summing that evenly to the front fills and the subs and everywhere else in a properly tuned system. But that's because I believe that that works for me. And I, because I've actually tested that, not because it was a belief that I was taught and I just stuck to it like a jerk. So <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think that can apply in other, that's like an example, but there are other areas where I've eaten my words. Um, and, and I think it's, it is, you know, early on, it's easy to believe that the best engineers are the ones that know everything. And I think there's some truth to that, but I also think that your best version of yourself is going to be one that doesn't forget you're a student and your best version of your mix is going to be one that is like we were saying earlier, Chris, something that is constantly holding yourself to a standard, follow the thread, right? Does your standard, you know, change, you know, did the, did the consistencies in your mix remain the same or are you learning things along the way? And, um, and I think at the end of the day, you have to be open to that. And I wasn't, and sometimes still I'm not in other ways I have to check myself, but yeah. Yeah. That's uh if it, I suggest everyone rewind, I don't know, about two minutes or so of that whole rant and just listen to that again. That was, that was some sol- solid <laughs> yeah. advice right there. Let's just, I'll just, I'll just <laughs> anyway. I love rants, man. No, it was, it's solid. All right, David. Um, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Uh, as a kind person and and not to sound cheesy, but like we talked about it earlier, like I I genuinely, that's all that matters, man. Like the people you mix for come and go, God forbid. Like, I mean, again, we love who we work for. If we work for people for a long time, it is sometimes the most enjoyable thing. Um, but you know, if, if you're, if you do this 30, 40 years, man, you're going to meet so many people and you're going to work with a lot more artists or fewer artists, actually, probably you're going to meet a lot more people than you will artists and, or work for artists. And I think, you know, kind of like what I said earlier about like, I know there are people in my life that I can call if I need advice or if I need guidance or if I'm just lost in the thick of it. And, um, you know, from successes to lows to just needing a friend or a couch to sleep on, I have people that I can call and almost all of them are people I do life with and I get the blessing of touring with. And I do think that remaining aware of that and treating those relationships as more important than your job is good. You know, like I don't want people to really remember me as like the guy that mixed Kane or like has the crappiest snare you've ever heard or the best kick drum you've ever heard or, you know, we can fill in the blank, right? you know. Um, I want people to remember me as like, I texted that guy when I needed a gig and it worked out or I called him. I didn't, I had a console failure. I didn't know what to do. And he walked me through it or 
this was my first tour and I was an opener and I didn't know anything and he helped me get through the show. You know, like I would, I would love for that to be the relationship I have with people outside of, you know, the mix or the quality control or the, or how cool the show is, you know? No, that's uh that's amazing. And, uh, as a side note, while that's all great, your drums do sound freaking amazing. So that's cool too. So I, I'll give you that. Like I've, I've heard your drums I've, Thank both, you. all three Thanks. times. I was like, Holy cow, those things are, well, and that was all three different. That was three different drummers too. So I, I guess that's also encouraging because yeah, <laughs> three different shows that you heard with three different drummers. Yeah, that no, was good stuff, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Well, David, I really appreciate you hanging out. Thanks, Sam, for uh, jumping in after rehearsals. So awesome.